Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. This week I'm speaking with Peter Stein, who is a visual artist and singer-songwriter. We talk mostly about his visual art in the episode. He does these amazing drawings of children interacting with larger-than-life Earth. They're really beautiful. I will put a link below the podcast so that you can click on it and look at it hopefully during or before or after you listen to the podcast because I think it's really cool to actually see what we're talking about. And he describes his whole process in the podcast of how he goes from a photo shoot and edits in Photoshop and then he basically draws the photo shoot that he's done. Really fascinating. I had didn't know that people, visual artists, worked this way. One of the other things that I really loved about talking with Peter is that he's one of two artists now that I've spoken with, and I'll post the next one next week, um, who have found really a great workaround for you know this idea of the starving artist. He has a job that is artistic and also does his own creative pursuits, and I think that this method that he has is really something special that other artists can look at and perhaps replicate because I think it's really important to, you know, have steady income as an artist, right? That seems obvious, but to be able to do it in a way that actually feeds our creative, you know, our creative impulses and our love of the art form that we are involved in. So. I really loved hearing about the overlap too between his quote unquote day job and the work that he ended up doing, for example, with children's books. Um, you'll hear me get really excited in the episode because he worked with on a collaborative book with one of my children's favorite authors. So that was pretty exciting. I didn't realize that before the episode. And yeah, he is just a really lovely human being. He writes in his bio that he's fascinated by the interplay of light and shadow, which you'll hear about in this. And he likes to capture the instant when movement and meaning fuse to create a moment that expresses universal subjects. He lives in Petaluma, California with his family and a very large dog. All right, let's get into it. All right, Peter, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Porter. It's great to chat with you. Yeah. So I am just so awestricken by your beautiful visuals that you've been sharing on Facebook, which is why I reached out to you. Um, so you. how how long have you been painting? Um, well, actually, they're they're drawings. They're not paintings. So um, oh, I'm, thank you I'm for my drawing with with a pencil and with lots of different pencils and with charcoal and depending on what I'm working on, some color pencil as well. Um, so I've been working on those pre-pandemic really for about a year and a half before the pandemic started. Uh, I've been drawing my whole life, um, so long before that, but, and been playing around with the kind of work that I do is kind of a photorealism with some little bit of surrealism thrown in there. And I've always loved it. And I've always loved that genre and that style and, Kind of dabbled around with it over the years, but um, never really got into it like I did until a certain point about maybe about four years ago or so. 
Oh, okay. So this was sort of a response, it sounds like, to having a lot of time on your hands because everything was closed? It became that, for sure. It really became that. Once the pandemic hit, it was kind of my savior. Um, I think for a lot of us, we found, especially, not, I want to say just in the creative community, but a lot of creative people I know found a lot of solace and refuge in their work. Um, and it could be frustrating at times because, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're you know, um, trying to find that voice, trying to find that muse, um, working with it, and there is isolation going on, it can be a challenge at times. Mm -hmm. So I have an advantage because the pieces that I work on, once I've found a certain path, they take a long time. So once I've started, I'm immersed literally for months in one piece. And because I do have a full-time job during the day, there's a lot of back and forth. And so um, it, it filled up a lot of space in a very, very positive way for me. So, but no, but actually the work started before the pandemic and sort of um, sifted into the pandemic in a, in a healthy way for me, actually. Mm -hmm. That's so amazing because, so I've never seen your mm -hmm. creations in person, but I just assumed from looking at the pictures that they were, the, the photos, that they were paintings. So that's really, that has, have you gotten that before? Is that a strange assumption? Um, I, they have been called paintings before for sure. Most of the time, the, the thing that people say is, oh, it's not a photograph. Um, right. And, yes, you that know, too. <laughs> if, you're, if you're doing kind of photorealism stuff and my stuff, my work by no means is as sort of hyper-realistic as some people. And there are artists out there who are far, far half my age who are doing amazing, amazing things and have patience that, I mean, I think my work does take a lot of patience, but they have patience that I can't touch. It's <laughs> amazing the kind of things that people are doing on a large scale. And my work is large scale. It's generally five to six feet tall. And so I'm working life-size-ish or depending on what the subject matter is larger than life-size if it's a larger portrait. And, um, and so it's, um, I think it's, it's really a, um, a meditation it's a practice, it's uh, an allowing, it's a letting go. Um, it's a, there's a craft to it that I think with every piece I, I learn more and I, I get a little bit stronger in certain kinds of you know, technical aspects of it, but also conveying kind of what I wanna say. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. It's really like, I have to see one in person now because understanding that it's pencil now, I'm like, this is really, <laughs> it's really tripping me out. I want you to see them in person. Um, and I had my first show ever um, last fall at a brand new gallery here where I live in Petaluma in uh, Northern California. California. Oh, yeah. Okay. And um, it's a really, really wonderful gallery. Um, and um, I felt really lucky to be there and had a had an amazing experience and, and really found that having a show was so much more than showing your art. It really felt like there was a lot of community involved and there was a lot of connections involved. People that I, I hadn't seen in so long came to the show. And also the people that you meet, like you probably know this through your music, through your own art, that there's conversations and new people that you meet that you never would have otherwise. So it's this amazing mm -hmm. kind of con uh, connective tissue, a conduit to other people that you would normally just walk right by. And there they are and wanting to connect because of what you created. And then there becomes this third thing of the art and you and them. And then that new relationship that comes from all of that, which to me was 
the probably the most amazing part about it and the bonus I wasn't I hadn't really thought about it that way because I'd never shown my work that way before mm. yeah that's that's a really I, I suppose that that exists in, in the music world to an extent well I guess it does totally I mean like because you could be just a recording artist right you could just go to a studio record your stuff and never know how anybody takes it in never have sort of any input about how people are absorbing it um right but yeah so i guess that's i guess that's a that's a not a uniquely um you know art or visual art sort of experience but i would also imagine that because the visual art is so solitary time consuming like in in a different way than i think recording music i mean you know i i show up for a few hours to record a vocal it's not I guess right. maybe producers feel differently. Maybe they feel more like visual artists. Um, right. But yeah, so that must be kind of a an interesting, like, uh, sensation to you know be now exhibiting what you've created and to have like this whole new new experience with totally. your art, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. And you kind of you kind of hit it right on because. Um, the kind of work I do is very isolating and, um, and I'm also, um, I do other kinds of creative things too. I'm a children's book author and illustrator and all of that is very, and then I have a day job. That's also, especially since the pandemic, also just sitting in a room by myself being creative. And I'm really, really super lucky that I get to do all that. I, I feel, um, like I landed in a place where. I, I get to access all these different parts of my brain. Well, I shouldn't say that I actually think it all comes from one central located creativity zone in your brain and everything kind of shoots out from there, but in a really unique way that I get to kind of like, you know, dive into the, the, the kids book part and be a kid again and dive into the art, which especially for this show, the theme of the show was youth with, with earth. And so hmm. the images, four of the five images revolved around um, <clears throat> young people interacting with the earth in a, in a photorealistic, but also slightly surreal way. And as a, you know, kind of a um, comment on just the, what the next generation is inheriting. So I'm working hmm. in that, and then I'm working in you know, the kids book world. And then also uh, my day job is I, I work in greeting cards. I have done that for a long time, my entire oh my career. Gosh, how, how interesting. Wow. So yeah, it's it's still fun. After all this time, I've been <laughs> doing it a long time and I, I enjoy it. And the people are fun and creative and, you know, you're working in a team environment there. But since COVID, it's been, it's been this, this sort of quiet world that I'm in other than work meetings and all that. And so to go out and share work with people was, was, man, it was just like, it was like finding new breath. It was really, and I almost mean that literally kind of breathe new life into my energy around my work, not just the art, but all of the creative stuff. And I started interacting with more creative people and made me feel like we've all got to get together more. <laughs> you know, we've all got to like find ways and it was happening on some level through Zoom with us, some creative people. Um, but to physically get together, you realize kind of how much you really need that and miss that. Hmm. And especially for me who had never shown before. So that was brand new as well. Yeah. 
Well, and interesting because your your graphics have to do with like this visceral connection to where you live, the earth, right? And yeah. to like not have any connection with humans um, is very different from that from that visual and that feeling that you get from your paintings. Or from, yeah. Sorry, from your drawings. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. It happens all the time. I, and yeah, and to sort of like play out the art, it was surreal in itself to kind of like be kind of alone and, and work with the, the theme of the entire planet, what's going on in the planet. But because of the nature of the work, lots of time to think and reflect on that. So um, you need to find good music good podcasts, <laughs> things to also keep you company while you're doing that work. When you're drawing, do you consider it like, is it like you have a vision in your mind that you're trying to replicate on a page or are you discovering it as you draw? That's a great question. And I, um, I've wondered this about other artists. I don't think there's any photorealistic or hyper-realistic artist that's just working from their imagination. Hmm. And if they are, I bow down to them because it is, I mean, to know kind of the exact location and form of light and shadow and to know facial and bone structure well enough to really create that in a super realistic way without reference. Um, I certainly can't do that. So okay. I work from photos and um, okay. I had really had a, a strong idea that I wanted to, I had, a, I've always had a lot of ideas in my mind of images that I'd love to create. And so initially before I started out, I contacted a photographer friend of mine and we were going to work together and set up shots that I wanted to do. And and for a couple of reasons that didn't quite work out. So I thought, well, you know, there's YouTube. So I jumped on YouTube and I found out how to do this thing called low key lighting, which is sort of a fancy term for high contrast, you know, black and white, strong shadows, not, not necessarily black and white, but strong light source and learning how to work with lighting and learning how to work with um, camera settings um, and those kinds of things are something that I just, had a little bit of a, um, you know, I think a little bit of anxiety around that. Like I'm gonna have a model over here and am I really gonna know what I'm doing? But I did, I did my homework and it worked out great. Um, and so it, when I say it worked out great, it means that I took enough photos that I could actually go into Photoshop and work together with a lot of the photos that I had and take the best parts of the ones, cause a lot of them didn't turn out great, but the best parts of the ones that did work out and when my lighting worked and I figured all that out and, and in each photo shoot, I've kind of gotten a little bit more used to working with the lighting and the camera and all that. So what I do is I take my shots and then I do work in Photoshop and sort of cobble together the image. I do all my sketches first. I talk to the models um, and then we have an hour or two photo session. And just as a little aside, one of the best parts of the whole thing is that after we have our photo session, um, I always, let the model know. And everyone has said yes to this so far. It's like, let's do your own, whatever you want to do afterwards. You want to do the same kind of thing. You want to change. You want to do your own thing. It just has to be in the studio because that's that's where we are. I mean, it could go outside, I guess, but we've done it all in the studio. Mm -hmm. So for instance, one of the pieces I did um, of, of my first big earth piece was um, with a wonderful girl from around the corner and her mom was there with her. And then afterwards we did an amazing mom and daughter photo shoot. Uh -huh. And another one um, 
was with um, a model who I worked on two pieces with and then her mom came, but she was in her early twenties at the time. And her mom was with her, who was a friend of mine. And, um, and she's from, uh, the mom is a refugee from Africa. And when it was time for their shoot, they went away and came back in, in their traditional African um, out costumes, outfits, garb. And they're not costumes, they're, they're traditional African clothing. And I was blown away because I wasn't expecting that at all. And we had the most amazing photo shoot afterwards. So that to me is another level of kind of like connecting in ways that I wasn't expecting connect to connect using creativity and relationships in a way that is much more than just the art. And all of those relationships um, on different levels have sort of maintained themselves. And then when I had the opening, most of the models were able to come Hi. super, super fun. Yeah, super connective. So, um, then I have the final reference that I create and um, I might work with the lighting a little bit more in Photoshop. And then, um, and then I'll use that as a reference and, and play off of that. And, you know, I try not to just do exactly what's there, but get a feel for it. But I do need the reference in order to do the final work for sure. Okay. So if I have this right, so you have some, some initial concept, I'm guessing. Yes. And then mm. you, hire someone to come in to model you take the photos and then the photos that you get from that you do something with them in photoshop to alter them in some way is mm -hmm. it just the lighting that you alter no no for instance i had um i have done it with all my photos actually so there's one of um let's say i did one of my my younger son and he's um and this one he's kind of an angel he's got wings and he's in front of him is planet earth and it's very sort of contemplative, but there were different shots with him jumping up in the air. So I could use his legs and his feet <clears throat> coming down. So it's not that he's static, he's actually, and, and my backdrops are like he's in space. So he's got a black, complete black backdrop. Some of the black backdrops have stars in them. So he's in space. And so I'll take the legs of one shot and then the upper body of one, maybe his hands of one, another one that just got the right lighting. All the lighting source is the same. So I can use different pieces from different photos. Um, and, and so then and I might use the head from another shot and then I'll Photoshop all that together. It doesn't need to be perfect in Photoshop because I'm gonna draw it later. I don't, I can mend all that stuff when I draw. Sure. Um, and it says a little aside, I, I love sharing this because so many things I've learned, I've learned because there's artists online who are extremely transparent about their processes. And at first I thought, well, they're giving away all their secrets. And it's not like what I'm sharing is a secret, but I love the idea of that community can be created anywhere that way. And, and it's very generous of those artists to do that because I learned a ton from, from people mostly on YouTube and the artists that I admire sharing their processes. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, then I get the final thing and then I work from that. And, but it's usually anywhere from two or three to 10 or 12 different photos combined. Oh, okay. Interesting. And then you print it out and you're looking at that when you um, I know I, I usually use an iPad. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it can Better. be there next to me <laughs> and I might do, um, 
several um, images, uh, uh, several shots of the same image, but up the lighting a lot on one and down, you know, really make one darker so I can see how it would look with darker shadows and work work that way. I don't have it down to a science or anything, but I, I, um, I'm kind of figuring it out more as I go along. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm glad I asked. I had no, I had no yeah. idea. I just, I, I'm not really a visual artist, so I just sort of assume like, all right, you just start drawing. <laughs> I like to do that too, but this is a whole different, different kind of art. And I, I love to draw. I love to cartoon. I love to just do giant, big doodles. And, um, and this is the opposite of that. It's really meticulous. So it's good for me to break away from that and do music or do cartooning or other kinds of art and, mm -hmm. and including writing for sure. Mm -hmm. So was the, the idea of the youth with the earth, was that an event that happened that gave you this idea or something specific that made you want to do this particular topic? Um, I would say specific and I think a little bit more, I don't know what the word is, kind of generalized in a way. Um, I mean, obviously we're all going through the same things together on the planet. Um, we have two boys 17 and 20 okay. and I have two as well they have the same age gap but they're in a littler oh. stage of development <laughs> how old are your boys six and nine. Oh, I remember those years <laughs> <laughs> yeah and their relationship changes as it moves along is super fascinating so mm. um those are great ages um so yeah so you know but the weird thing is is that when our boys were six and nine it was a little, little worrisome, scary out there. And it's only just kind of been growing since then. And so I think one of the things that, um, you know, I feel like, honestly, it's been it's taken a long time for me to identify, identify myself as an artist, just in general. But as time has gone on, and I've gotten older, I, I thought, you know, um, I have this feeling about um, potential. And, and I really have thought a lot about potential and the potential that we all have and what, what keeps us from our potential. And this will be an ongoing process for me um, forever, I know. And to, to be quiet enough with yourself, to be inquisitive enough with yourself and to see what it is that you might wanna say in the world, no matter what your outlet is. I mean, it could be relationships, it could be gardening. I mean, it can be anything at all. But what is it that does that for you? Uh, it could be solitary. It could be community oriented. So mm. um, I had been doing this kind of art um, since, you know, it was probably in my mid-teens and to, to a greater or lesser degree and trying to figure out how to do this. And I, I really thought a lot about potential. And I, one of the things that I really came to was like, you know, potential is, um, is, is a lot of different things, um, but I really feel mostly that it's related to enough self-care and self-love that you can have the consistency with yourself to allow yourself to reach some kind of uh, stepping point for yourself. And then as you reach that, you, you keep going with that. So it's about the consistency and it's about, um, um, it's about, staying with your initial and I don't know I'm, I'm not having a good way of putting this uh, it's it's about 
Um, well, let me read you this quote. I'm okay, getting so it, I, I think. <laughs> okay. Well, this, this says it better than I can. This okay. is by um, Victoria Ecker, uh, Erickson. Um, she wrote a book called uh, Edge of Wonder. And I have this quote up on my bulletin board next to, um, next to where uh, I work a lot of the time. And it says, consistency is an underappreciated form of intentional magic disguised as a mundane doing. And consistency is an underappreciated form of intentional magic disguised as a mundane doing. So what are we doing in our lives that feels mundane, but there's an end game in mind? And how can we be in the moment with that that is meditative or that is in the moment, just being in the moment with it? So the Earth series came from that. And um, I've completed five of them now, and it's not a lot in the art world to complete five pieces, but they, they generally take me two to 300 hours each. So um, I wanted to figure out a way that I could say something, contribute something, have some sort of an outlet about how I felt, about mm -hmm. certainly my own children, but my children's, my kids' friends, and all kids. And what you're, you're definitely, you know, what they're inheriting. And then the name of my show was Inheritance, actually. Mm. And so what they're inheriting, what their kids are gonna inherit. And, um, and so uh, hopefully to spark some sort of thought, maybe some conversation around that. And certainly at the show that did mm. happen. So that was, uh, that was a nice benefit. Mm. Yeah, they're really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, they feel very like kind of, vision questy like almost some like like you were saying surreal in in a way like you are experiencing the earth as bigger than it because of the way that you do the proportions and i mean and in a way i feel like humans do have a grotesquely sort of um what in magnified impact on you know on on our environment by our sheer numbers um, absolutely yeah yeah, and the interesting thing about that too, to me, is the um, I had. I mean, I we are that my characters, my figures are giant in <laughs> in this in my drawings because they are interacting with Earth that's at a scale that's like maybe it's the scale of a basketball or some of them they're not all the same scale. Mm -hmm. But for me, um, the reason behind that is because I've had this thought, you know, I think I was a big thinker as an early kid and I had a big imagination or at least an active one um, of seeing um, the planet from, from space and imagining what would an alien see if they saw planet earth. And I think as I, I got a little bit older, this stayed with me, this kind of an, mm -hmm. this imagining, this vision. And it always seemed to me, and it does, um, I think more so now than ever that if somebody who could see what's this amazingly beautiful blue ball in space um, and then zoom in and zoom in and zoom in and see how somehow the most intelligent life form on the planet has created what we've created, which is immense beauty mm -hmm. and filled with love and obviously the opposite of that. Um, it's very much related to sort of the, the duality of love and hate and love and fear. Um, and so I'm, I think about that a lot. And I think about the borders that we've constructed mm. uh, physically and as a construct. And um, that's really, to me, what the art is about is these, 
young. Um, I don't want to say naive because they're not naive um, beings. They are in many ways, you know, more pure and unaffected than they probably will be at mm-hmm. some point, you know, in the near future or as the years go by, especially considering what's going on in the world. Um, and so um, I, I'm trying to at least create a thought in my mind and maybe other people's minds if they are open to the art or everyone's gonna interpret it in their own way, obviously. Um, what does it mean to look at this planet and the way that I draw it? I try to draw it beautifully. I have some trouble with it because the planet is always in color and I have a partial color blindness. So I try to work with that in the best way I can, which is to, well, my wife helps me a little bit with, I know that's the wrong color and she helps me kind of like work that out a little bit. But I also um, just try to work in, instinctually and try to, um, plus I also look at the pencils because they have the colors on them. So that helps me too, um, thankfully. That's um, quite remarkable. I'm just sorry, it's like a little <laughs> asterisk like that you're doing this and also have like, how does that, how does that work? What, what colors look the same? It's mostly red green. So um, a lot of times those blend together to me, some purples and blues and things are hard for me, pinks and, you know, lighter kind of red. So when I'm working, there is a lot of instinct in it. I don't, I I will come in as a, you know, um, it it can be a challenge. And I, and I gave myself that challenge because when I I did, I did go to art school um, and did have to do color study. And I found that it's weird because sort of the cones and rods in your eyes, I found for myself, they started like, like if you work out, you know, I started mm. getting a little bit better at being able to pull those colors apart a little bit more and see them better. Mm-hmm. And, but I hadn't had a color study class for a long time. So when I went back into this, I thought, okay, I'm gonna dive into this. And um, I always save doing the world, the earth part for last because it's the hardest part for me to do. And, um, and it is always the hardest part. And, um, but I have so much momentum going by that time because the figure is pretty much done. And it's this last puzzle piece that I, I then sort of am able to um, power through. Mm-hmm. And actually at times I can really enjoy that part. Uh, you know, there's a part about doing the kind of work that I do and maybe for all artists and maybe for musicians too, you know, that it's really not all about just, you know, you're in your muse and you're in your beautiful world. There's a lot of times where it's, it's really hard work and, you know, um, it's, it's pretty much, um, it, there's, did you sleep well the night before? You got a lot of other things going on. Would you rather just be going out for a walk or watching a movie or doing nothing? And so um, it's kind of like, cleaning a really messy room you know it's like really hard to start sometimes but then when you start you get a thing going and you start feeling like I'm so glad that I'm sitting here doing this and feeling like um, I'm kind of doing what I need to do right now. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because um, having done a lot of like electric electronic music and recording and things like that I find that that happens and it's probably a psychological thing like a psychological interaction with the machines I feel like because somebody else will come and be like beep beep boop and everything works magically but i will i sometimes i would spend like an hour just doing trying to set up the session because something Mm -hmm. 
some like when I was in college maybe somebody would like have changed the settings on the thing I'm like what's going on you know so um so a three hour chunk of time or a four hour chunk of time was like just vanished in setup you know okay. and then it's like yeah so but the question is when okay so when you've done that setup and you've spent all that time and energy doing it do you then do your music right then or do you say all right it's set up i need to go relax for a minute or <laughs> come back or do you dive in i think if i put that much time into it i want to go i want to actually do right. something yeah <laughs> good for you i mean you still got the space and energy to do it that's great i i don't know i think at that point it's like almost like um it's like if I didn't, I would feel like it would feel worse, right? Because because you've just spent so much time trying to trying to get something to function. Exactly, you're all ready to yeah. go. Yeah, but the thing that will happen to me now is more like, okay, it's taking me so long to set up, and then one of my kids comes in and then needs me to make them a snack. <laughs> so then, so then it's so, it gets dropped. Yeah. Right. You have these unintentional built-in breaks that you yeah. get to take or have to take one way or another. <laughs> Yeah, different stage, different stage of, of life. It's less, you know, it gets less and less the amount of time that they need me. But, you know, it also yeah, it also uh, varies in terms of whatever the issue is, which changes. I'm only at nine, so I don't even know what, you know, yeah. what yeah, comes next. I, I'm sorry to say issues don't end. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I what do. I'm saying. It's like they, they vary, right? It's they not like... Vary. Not like I have to make sure you don't fall down the stairs anymore. Um, but, you know, now it's something else, maybe more emotional. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, your issues with six and nine are so much different than, <laughs> than three and six. Yeah. But, you know, at some point in the near future, probably, well, it's a few years maybe, but you won't even need to make snacks anymore. They'll just do that themselves. That's true. So, that's true. Yeah, your time does get freed up. And <laughs> that's actually for my art is uh, why I took such a long break from, from do from doing any real intensive kind of art. And I did do some before kids and lots of things happened before kids that just sort of stopped either intentionally or just as it happens, you know, these things just sort of fall away. Um, I was very into meditation before kids. And then when our first boy came along, I, I, I really made a conscious decision that I wanna do more walking meditation. I wanna be more present and meditative. In, in that world. And so a uh, formal sitting kind of thing ended for many, many years. And then as they got older, it's like, well, I, I think there's space for that to start again. Mm -hmm. And there's a different flavor to all of it, flavor to creativity, to meditation, to time that you have for yourself. Once you've moved through those years of them needing you so much, um, I think you do come out of it um, you come out of it changed and you have other things to say and do. Right. So, yeah. um, and that was a kind of an unexpected, nice little thing for me. Cause I didn't know, you know, what would happen after all those years, but I, I was happy to find that, you know, the, the desire for creativity and for making things, um, was as strong as ever. Hmm. Did you ever fear that it wouldn't come back? Well, as you know, they're busy years, right? So I don't know that I thought a lot about it. And I was always, I kind of just tried to, at least on some level, infuse some of that with them. So we draw together a lot. Mm -hmm. We do music together or, um, and 
then I was still doing the day job, which is creative. And, right. you know, I didn't get into children's books until, you know, they were a little bit older. So I'm just a late starter at a lot of things. And mm. so, you know, it, there's never, it's never too late. It's never too late to, to say what you want to say and try what you want to try. And in some ways, starting a little bit later in all that, in that world, um, for instance, my first book came out about 12, 13 years ago. And, um, and the first event I ever did, live event, was in front of <clears throat> a couple hundred people at the LA Book Fest. And there was a big crowd there that day and people were milling in because after me was Jamie Lee Curtis who had some kids book out at the oh, time. Yeah, okay. I don't remember what it was. And so people were milling in a lot and the crowd was getting bigger. And I had this big presentation to do. And I think that if that was happening when I was much younger, I just would have freaked out. <laughs> I would have done it. But I'd had enough under my belt in life and, and kids and meditation and, and also just realizing that we're all really feeling the same things and experiencing the same things on many levels, on the, on the level, on the, on, in the ways that matter the most, mm -hmm. that I was able to um, feel strong enough about, well, my book, but also myself that I could get up and do that. And I don't know that would have happened like if, if I was much younger. So, yeah. you know, it, it, there's a little bit of a, of a ripening to that, that. That's nice. Yeah. Interesting. What's your first book called? My first book is called, they're all pretty silly books, um, Cars Galore. Okay. And I did a book series with an amazing artist named Bob Stack, who we did four books. Seriously? Yeah. Do you know Bob? We love Bob Stack. Yeah. We, we uh, read The Red Lemon, um, The Donut. Donut, Donut Chef. Donut Chef. Yeah. My yeah. kids love those books. Yeah. Bob's a star. He's amazing. <laughs> So I've, I've been lucky enough to do five books with him. And, um, you know, I, you never know what's gonna happen. I, uh, in the recession of 2008, 2009, I got laid off from my job. And so I had, um, I had really been wanting to get into children's books and been trying and trying and trying. And so, um, and I had been failing. I had not been getting into books. And so um, I would drive the kids around. And at that time we had a van and we would, make up, I'd make up silly rhymes when we were driving around about cars <laughs> and, you know, the kids would laugh. So, you know, I'm a ham. So I kept making up more rhymes and then we'd do them around the dinner table a little bit. And, and I ended up thinking, you know, these are kind of fun. So I was writing them down. Right. And, um, a year later I got laid off from my job along with everybody else. Our company went away. And so here I am, you know, my wife's got a job, but we're struggling, right? And so and I'm out of work and there isn't really any creative work around. So um, I thought of this guy because I used to work at Hallmark Cards and I thought he was a freelancer there at the time. And I really loved his work. So I sent him, I, I found this file from a year ago and I, and I cleaned it up and I sent it to him. And I, I said, hey, you know, uh, we have this connection through Hallmark years ago and he wrote me back in half an hour and I'll just say two months later we had we had a book deal we had a two book deal with a with a really great publisher and oh, wow. we've since done five books and um I've gone on to illustrate a couple of my own and I, so I'm just kind of like what is your back door what is your breaking the rules you know how do you find a way in that isn't the way that you you know 
we're told to do it, that the books tell mm. you to do it. And I've found that most of the things that I've done that have felt the most real or maybe been the most successful for me have been because I, uh, I broke a rule or I cold called somebody that, you know, you really shouldn't do that. Um, and maybe nine times out of 10, it doesn't work, but maybe once it does, you know? So I just, my, one of my philosophies is that you just never know. <laughs> so <laughs> try, so it's, it's yeah. good to try. Totally. Oh, I can't wait to, I can't wait to, uh, my kids are just going to be so excited when I tell them I spoke to someone who illustrated for Bob's stack. Not to make that your, your crowning achievement, but it's a cool one. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm proud of it. I'm very lucky to work with him. And I didn't even know when I cold called him. I mean, I knew that he'd done some kids books, but at the time he'd done like 40 books. And I didn't realize this, but New Yorker covers and he was in oh. Newsweek and Mad Magazine. He was just way like more prolific and successful than I had imagined. I probably still would have cold called him, but I, I, <laughs> I, um, I'm even more thrilled to know that he wrote me back and so quickly because he liked what I did and so and he had some couple thoughts on it and that were super helpful. Um, and Sorry, so he's not the person who worked with you at Hallmark, though. This is a different person. Or it's the same person. We never worked together, but when I was a writer there, he was a freelance artist. So I would see his oh, work. Okay. I'm sorry. I missed that connection. Okay. Oh, yeah. So the sorry. person was Bob Stack. Got it. Okay. Yes. And so here I am, you know, um, I'm a little desperate and thinking I have this idea. I think it's kind of strong. And I remember this guy. And, you know, this was 2010, probably. And, and you could find people online back then. <laughs> Um, and so it was, uh, it was a happy day. It was a good day when he wrote me back. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, wow. Okay. So I have to go check out those books. It'll be fun. And when I figure what they, uh, cool. when I figure out what they are, I will hopefully link them in the podcast notes Yay. with your, uh, with your other info that you, that you gave me. Wonderful. Um, yeah. So how has, do you feel like talking a little bit about your greeting card job that seemed that's interesting to me <laughs> sure yeah no, no what, problem i mean i've done it for a long time so yeah what what, it, what does that look like like are you illust like just like how does that work in other words like somebody brings you something you do this well i don't know pretty much yes <laughs> okay. um well i've worked at three companies over the years i worked for hallmark and then i worked for a, a pretty mid-sized company and now I work for uh, Papyrus greeting cards oh. and so um, for all of those um, companies I've been primarily a writer. I do some art directing and for homework I did some illustrating but um, when I was in college I had a cartoon strip in the college paper um, at San Jose State and best part of my all of my school at college was doing that cartoon every day. And I got to do it for like two years. And so when I um, applied at Hallmark as an artist, they liked the fact that I could write and draw and not miss deadlines, I think. So um, So I moved from, at the point, California to Kansas City. And I lived in the Midwest for about eight years and worked there. Great experience, amazing people. All these artists and writers who, you know, want to have a creative life, but a paycheck. And this mm. was kind of, you know, and it was creative and, and a lot of outside stuff that creative people were doing together too, which was a, which is a community kind of thing, which was wonderful. 
Um, so then um, in all the different companies, I've worked on different kinds of things, but it's primarily writing. And um, for this, for both the first two companies, Hallmark and this other company called Portal um, Publications, I was basically staring at a blank piece of paper and writing sometimes to photographs, but often just coming up and mostly humor stuff. Okay. And then with Papyrus, um, it's a little different. It's more image oriented and less humor, but some humor still. And um, great, amazing creative team that works there. And so mostly you get an image and then you have the kinds of you know, holidays, captions we call them that we're writing to. And oops, sorry about that. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know how much you really want to know about greeting cards, but you have to balance the line and not say the same thing over again, which right. is be a challenge with, you know, a million birthday cards, sure. but it's a creative <laughs> challenge. And it's like anything else. It's like problem solving and then allowing your mind to go into creative mode and, um, and not overthink it, you know, and, and just kind of like do your thing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I guess it's the technical way. Of no, it to. actually does fascinate me um, because one, because I think of greeting cards as sort of like, I don't, I mean, it, people must still buy them, but it must be sort of transitioning into, I don't know if like people are buying them more for specific things or um, there's just like a very tried like a true you know demographic that just like loves their greeting card like how you know so I'm, I'm fascinated with that because for example my parents love greeting cards um but i i don't know i've maybe bought like five in my life right you know right i think it's a generational thing and um thank you to your parents for <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean i love them. getting them too but it just like doesn't occur to me to buy them you know totally and yeah. i think that's true for so many people i mean you know, most people just write happy birthday on Facebook or something now. Right. <laughs> and that's kind of how it goes. Um, um, but apparently a lot of people are still buying greeting cards. And I'll be honest, it surprises me. Um, mm. It's a pleasant surprise because I enjoy the work and it's, it's you know, I've been able to do it for a while. So um, there's also a kind of a little bit of a back to basics thing with maybe millennials that mm. there, there's some statistics that somebody's found that some younger people, a lot of younger people are actually buying greeting cards because, mm. you know, I, believe me, this is not a, this is not a slogan or a plug. I mean, it does feel good to get that as opposed to, you know, a, a note on Facebook that also feels good too. Yeah. But so I think that there's something about that, that feels a little like craft oriented, like, um, it feels um, special enough that people are still doing it, both young and old. So, yeah, that's is is there like because you've been doing this for a while, so <laughs> this is bizarre. I mean, maybe it is because it's so kind of foreign to me, but I am really intrigued by it. But like, is there a different kind of card that used to sell? I don't know when you first started that like you've transitioned to it, like you were saying humor was working really well. So people don't want funny cards anymore or you just aren't in charge of those cards. Um, that's a great question. I think humor has morphed over the years for sure. You know, um, uh, I've honestly been doing it for over 30 years. So the humor of that 
age of that stage of the world is different than it is now and necessarily so. And, you know, so there's more sensitivity around certain things now. Um, But no, actually the reason that I do less now is because my company now does less humor. They just, it's, it's more of a design oriented Mm. and visual oriented company. The other two companies were just, they had huge humor lines and I love doing that stuff. So, um, so as far as the type of humor, I do think that there's, um, yeah, like I said, there's a more, there's a, there's more sensitivity around it as there should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of, I mean, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do, do you find that like a certain, that you're doing a certain type of greeting card more than any other, like it's the sympathy card, the most popular or the birthday or. Oh, you know, I mean, <laughs> birthday cards sell more than anything else because everyone is has that the birthdays. Thing? But I do have to say that, that a lot of sales went down during COVID, but sympathy did not. And, uh, you know, okay. that was a sadness around right. that for sure. I mean, right. you can see the sales results and what people are buying. Right. Um, you know, on one level, you could say, um, on one level, you could say, uh, you know, the, the words that I've written have helped people to communicate with, with each other. And so, you know, and there is a bit of a uh, trading off of hats, you know, and I may write a sympathy card and then have to move to a humor card. Those are, you know, you get a little bit of whiplash doing that sometimes, but, um, you know, I've, I've learned to, um, maybe I need a quick little walk in between or something, you know, to kind of like reset, but um, knowing not just the sympathy, but all of your cards, I mean, especially if you wrote something that you like, it's a funny card or you hope it's funny and it sells well, then you know that maybe you've, you know, (laughs) this sounds so cliche, but you brought a smile to a number of people's faces in the world. And and that's a pretty cool thing. And there are a lot of worse things I've sort of, you know, I, that I could have been doing with my time and my life and, and also happy that I've been able to help support my family with that over the years. It's been super fun. Mm-hmm. It's been great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, are you working on something currently? Like, do you have a next sort of big project that you're brewing up or? Oh, to you know, I, I have a feeling I'm just like you and a lot of creative people that we kind of always do, right? So yeah, I have I have a big piece that I'm will be finishing up in a couple of weeks, and um, and it's uh, it's another one of my younger son. It's a, the biggest portrait I've ever done, so um, I feel like I constantly need to apologize to him for doing such a big portrait. But it was a really cool photo that just sort of happened. Uh, almost by accident and it was so ethereal and so really uh, evocative for me that I felt like you know and I got permission from him to do it and then um, I have some other photo references I've taken so I I have a few in mind and some some uh, some other projects and my older son has also agreed to model for one for me but I do want to keep going with um, the youth earth series because I feel like um, there's more to say and it hasn't played itself out yet. There's more to do with it. So your, your sons have like a, and like, they don't want to be, I mean, I'm just thinking like their people would pay a lot of money to have a portrait of themselves. Right. But like kids have a very different relationship to their artistic parents than they do to art in general. Um, that they do. Yeah. 
So is it something like a little annoying or like, why do you say um, you have to apologize? Well, uh, for this particular piece, because it is a very large portrait. I mean, it's probably, his head is probably four feet tall. So okay. it's, you know, it's like, um, you know, and he's a teenager. So he's, he's not, um, what can I say? If I was 17 and my dad wanted to do a giant drawing of me and maybe one day show it to the public, I'd be kind of like, you know, dad, why don't you find somebody else to do it? But um, my kids are great. And they're, um, you know, my older son is, I think, happy now to do it because he's 20. And I think he's, um, last time he modeled for a piece for me, he was about five. Mm. So um, it's totally his turn. Um, not that he's been asking, but I really want to do one of him too. And there's other um, families that I'd love to work with. And um, I'm trying to you know, honestly, um, in our world in Petaluma, it's, um, there's a lot of whiteness here. And so I need to branch out. And I was able to do that with a couple of my pieces. And I really want to, I really want to branch out more and more and more in that world. And I don't, I, I want to be very careful about appropriation and about just really respecting what any culture wants to do and wants to say and teaming up on kinds of concepts and ideas that I want to do. Um, but I need to be super careful about that because um, I think I don't know what I don't know. And a lot of us are in that boat and we need to be aware and ask a lot of questions and just be respectful. So um, I got off on a tangent on that. So yes, I have, I have a few projects and I'm working on new books and things like that. And um, that's just to say, I'm writing a lot and drawing a lot, but um, I don't know what will be published next at this point, just yeah. keep trying. <laughs> I, I totally asked you to go on that tangent, so that wasn't your fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Um, do you want to tell people how they can find out more about your work and connect sure. with you? Absolutely. I don't have a huge social media presence, but I, I have a couple of web websites. Um, PeterSteinArt.com. Stein is spelled S-T-E-I-N. And that's got just my, my art pieces on it. And... Um, petersteinstudio.com has kind of everything. Bless you. You're quick on the mute. That Thank was you. <laughs> wow. I could feel it coming. Sorry. So petersteinstudio. No, petersteinstudio.com. Okay. And um, I'm on Facebook um, and on Instagram. I, gosh, I don't remember my thing my handle whatever it's i'll find called. it for it's, you don't worry about it i'll okay. have all these links in the in the podcast description so you can you the listener can click on awesome. them yeah thank you so much peter for joining me today and thank you all for listening and we'll see pleasure. you go ahead sorry <laughs> i just want to say thank you Porter. this is great yeah thank you so much i really enjoyed it and we'll see you in the next episode thanks so much bye podcast, please remember to rate it and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Also, if you go to portersinger.com now, you will find that I have new events, including a monthly chant night on the first Wednesday of every month. You can drop in or choose to subscribe, which means that you get that plus a month's worth of my somatic sound practice, body cello for just $20 a month. 
So please check that out. I am creating a little sound healing community, self-healing sound community over there, and I would love to have you be part of it. All right, see you in the next episode.